Good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. I say this a lot, but I say it a lot because it is true. It is awesome uh, to look out, and even when we all were outside in 90-degree weather a few minutes ago, sweating to death when you're walking in, to uh, see some folks who we haven't seen for, I don't know, <clears throat> 15, 16 months or so. Um, I mean, really, you know, there's a handful of folks in this room this morning who I don't, this may be your first uh, time back, and some of you I haven't seen for a long, long time. And so it is a joy to see you. Uh, thanks for, for coming back here. Part of me thinks, you know, that everybody thought I'd already be on sabbatical, and that's why they're coming back. <laughs> they're like, oh, wait, Smith's not there. We're going to go, no, I don't think so. Uh, but even if that's why you came back, we're, we're glad. it's just great to see the body of Christ. Um, and it's great that throughout this whole COVID, God is bringing new families into our body and encouraging families to commit, perhaps in a way they haven't before. For our students, right, it's been an exciting weekend because, uh, for students, because I know some of our students have graduated, and so it's kind of the season where graduation start, which means for some parents, it's their third or fourth kid, they're seeing head off to whatever God's called them, a trade, a skill, a career, uh, some sort of schooling. For other parents, we know that this might be your first child that you're launching, and so I got some tissues up in my office if you'd like me to hand those to you. But man, exciting weekend, exciting time for our students because of graduation. And then this summer, we have a really exciting thing uh, because we, we want to be a church, right, that, that serves and cares and uh, uh, tells people and demonstrates God's love. And so we have an opportunity to do what we've done for many years through a, a service project, a missions trip for our students. And so as of now, we have about 49 students who this summer, they could be doing a whole lot of things and they're deciding to be together as a community and head down to Philadelphia with a Philly project and to serve there. And so that's just really exciting uh, that 49 of our students are committing uh, to be the hands and feet for Jesus and to share his love in, in word and in action. And the awesome thing is they are not going out there alone because we as a church have an opportunity to partner with them and we have an opportunity to show our kids and our students that we're behind you guys, man, and we want to support you. And so we're going to be able to start doing that in two ways next Sunday. Next Sunday, uh, at some point when you walk out one of these doors, one way that we can support our kids on this trip is through prayer. And so <clears throat> there's going to be a chance for you to pick up a bookmark or a prayer card that'll walk through the different times that they're on the trip and some things that we can all commit to praying for them to encourage them to be with them. One way we can support them is through prayer. And so I'd love for you to do that. And then there's a second way we can support them. And so as you walk out the door, uh, just to show their appreciation to you guys and to our church, uh, and for those of you who are going to support them in prayer and other ways, there will be to get you in your summer diet, to get you kicked off well, there's going to be Krispy Kreme donuts. There's going to be dozens and dozens and dozens. We're not going to do anything individually, but we would love on your way out, just as a token of their appreciation for your encouragement, you can grab you a box of Krispy Kreme donuts, and if the Lord leads on your heart to also provide some financial support, uh, in addition to the prayer support, there'll be a chance for you to do that. Our desire is every kid comes from a different story, and we want to make this as financially easy as a can be. So they're raising their own support. But uh, man, if we could come alongside and just uh, encourage them and thank them and be part of the ministry that they're going to be doing through some finances, there'll be a way for you to do that either through uh, digitally, virtually, you know, um, some different things or process. So next week we get to support our kids who are going out through prayer and there'll be some tangible ways for we know how to do that throughout the week. And then we'd love, they'd love for you to grab a donut, grab a box of donuts. You can't just grab one donut. 
You can't. Whole box. And then if God lays in your heart to financially partner with them, that would be a great encouragement and blessing to them. And then you. There's this great verse in the Bible that I love about how those of us who support the ministry of other people, God credits the fruit of their ministry to us. And so maybe some of us will have credited to us from the Lord what some of our kids do this season. So, so that's exciting. So I want to let you know about that. I'm going to jump into the sermon. <clears throat> I'm going to pray, pray and excited about what the Lord has for us through his word today. Father, we are so grateful for the reminder that uh, you have won the battle. That the, the end is secure, and we go through all sorts of things in our lives, and we go through some good days, and we go through some very hard days, but we never go through as Christians, as believers, we never go through those things alone, Father, because you are with us, and you are caring for us, um, and you have a plan for us. And so I thank you for that assurance that can give us peace. I thank you for... What's going on in the lives of the next generation and 49 of these folks who are going to be giving up time their summer to serve you. And I pray that will be a meaningful, rich time in the lives of our students and meaningful to the people that they get to serve. And uh, thank you that we get to support them. And I pray for safety and unity and all the details over that trip. I pray for today as we have equipping class afterwards and a time of hanging out for lunch and as we have this sermon that just, Father, you will continue to be honored and glorified and that we really may think well about Jesus who gave himself for us and died for us um, and who is our king. And we have the privilege, Father, of being part of your kingdom. May we live well within it through the power of the Spirit and uh, thank you for this time now. Amen. Well, I've told you a few weeks ago about my, and I think my grass herb, I told you a few weeks ago that I had this great uh, plan that I was going to reseed my backyard, right? And in the moment in which I told you that, my plan was failing because there was nothing but four yards of dirt over my backyard. There wasn't a green sprout to be seen, but I think the little seeds of grass heard me and they got upset that I was talking trash. So my grass is now sprouting throughout my backyard with some clover and with some dandelions, but there's grass sprouting. So I know that I should be watering this grass. So a week or so ago, a couple weeks ago, we had this hose caddy thing, that little box, you know, little box you keep your hose in. Because my wife doesn't like keeping the hose rolled up nicely. So we bought a box. So we have a box. And so I was trying to connect a hose and do a hose. And because of my pure brute strength, not, because I don't know how to use a wrench accurately, and because the thing's rusted, I'm about to attach this new hose onto this caddy so that I can water my lawn. And all of a sudden, the thing goes, snap. And my hose attached to my caddy to water my lawn is now broken. And it doesn't really work. I got something out of my kid's car the other day, and I saw a pair of my wife's sunglasses there, and I noticed that the lens is popped out, and I noticed that the frame is cracked, and the sunglasses with a cracked lens and a popped-out frame deal, that's not really going to be effective to help keep the UV rays out of your eyes. We have this puppy. And this puppy chews everything, although he's doing much better now. And so we bought for this puppy. I bought for this puppy. This extreme, this, you know, you can go to TJ Marks and get like a dog toy for 75 cents. I thought that the Kong on Amazon.com for like $14.99, this Kong Chew Teddy Bear that would be indestructible, according to the Kong Chew Teddy Bear people, would be perfect because it's indestructible and he won't break it. And I gave, bought the thing. My family's like, you are a moron because TJ Maxx for like $0.75. Cent. I'm like, yeah, but this won't break. This will be helpful, right? I gave it to my puppy. 
And in about 14 minutes, Ford had chewed through this indestructible chewed toy. So the past month, I have a hose caddy thing that is broken that no longer works. There are a pair of sunglasses that are broken that don't serve any purpose. And there's a dog chew toy that provides no help to me whatsoever. There's a lot of broken things. And probably if we took time, each of you could share an example over the past couple of weeks, couple of months of something that you were looking to use. Something that you had to get something done, and so you reached for this tool, you reached for this whatever, you reached for the remote for your new TV, and the thing broke. The thing doesn't work. And here's the reality. When something is broken, when that thing doesn't work, <coughs> that is no help to us at all to help us use it. It does no good to us to help it accomplish the purpose. My broken hose doesn't help me water the grass. Sunglasses don't work, right? And, and then... The question is in that moment when the thing breaks, when whatever it is in your life and your chores and your technology that breaks, that doesn't work, the choice we have then is this, okay, do I get rid of it? Do I just toss it? Or do I try to fix it? Do I toss it? Or do I try to fix it? If we had 47 more seconds, I would take a survey of who tosses and who fixes, but I'm not going to do that. And all of that, right, has something to do with the word on the screen today because there is something that we've been seeing for months together that God wanted to use. There's a purpose that God's trying to accomplish to bring blessing and to fix this mess of a fallen world. And to accomplish that purpose, he wants to use something and he wants to use people. He wants to use people. He wanted to use people all throughout the Bible. He wants to use you. He wants to use me. He wants to use us. But the question then becomes, what happens when the things that he wants to use get broken? What happens in the story when people break and something happens to them? And because of their brokenness, which often comes from sin, they're not able to be used in the way that God had planned and God hopes and God wanted to use them when the very thing that God wants to use gets broken. When you and I and when the people in the book get broken because of sin, God then has a choice. And his choice could be, do I toss it? Do I get rid of them? Or do I work to fix them? And the good news is that God commits himself to fixing. God commits himself to trying to bring things back together. And last week, what we saw, kind of this pivotal moment in the story, in our narrative series, where this group of people have now formed in this nation, right? The country of Israel, the people of Israel, the Israelites, that's where we are. This big, booming, growing country with power and with success. And what we saw last week is that that group of people, that country became broken, that country, those people, they had their Humpty Dumpty moment. If you were here last week, what an amazing time we had together reciting Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, right? If you weren't, you can watch the sermon and do it in your living room. Last week, the people of Israel had this Humpty Dumpty moment where they experienced their great fall. There were two things that caused that fall that we talked about. First thing that caused that fall, and we got a map here to pop up on the screen. First thing that caused the fall was this one united country divided. It split. There was because of bad leadership and a bad perspective on leadership, there was a secession of one part. And so it used to be all of this was one united kingdom, 
But then what you see is the green kingdom, right? There's a split. The green kingdom is Israel, the northern kingdom. And the southern kingdom is Judah, right? And what used to be united is now cracked. It's now divided. It's now broken. Northern kingdom, Israel. Southern kingdom, Judah. And the second thing that kind of led to this fall, this Humpty Dumpty moment, was not just that there was this division, that God wants to use unified people together who are now divided, but after that Humpty Dumpty fall moment for the Israelites, in both of these kingdoms, Israel and Judah, in about a week, maybe it was longer than a week, I don't have the timeline, but both of these kingdoms, man, they don't pursue God. They don't worship God. Both of these kingdoms turn to idolatry. And so the question then what God does is, okay, this is broken, disunified, divided, not worshiping me, not following me. And so the question and what God says is, but you know what? I'm not going to just throw it all out because I do still, I've made promises to these people. And I have a purpose for these people to not only bless them, but so that they, in a holy way, will offer blessing to all these other people who don't know me. And so God says, I'm going to fix it. And the way that God tries to work to begin fixing it is through a group of people called prophets. Prophets. And their prophetic ministry, these In the Bible, right, the prophets are recorded are men, and their prophetic ministry of these guys is recorded in all of these prophetic books. We got all the books of the prophets here. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, right? If you looked at the index in your Bible, if you open up your Bible app, when you look at the table of contents, you're going to see these books of the Bible listed. Each of these books of the Bible is a... Uh, recording is the documentation of the prophetic ministry of each of these people, okay? So, if so I'm not a prophet. I don't, I'm not, we're not even going to get into gift of prophecy. But if like somebody was going to record what Peter did at Calvary Church, there would be the book of Peter. But there's not, okay? So all of these books of the Bible are documenting the way in which God used each of these men in their ministry to try to fix what is broken. If you've ever tried to read any of these books... It can get really confusing in about four sentences, okay? And today, what we're going to do together is this. We're going to survey one of the earliest books. Everybody's got a little bit of a different time frame on who was for, but what's clear is that this dude, Amos, Amos, not like famous Amos's cookies. We're not giving out cookies today, okay? Uh, but Amos, most people think, was one of the earliest prophets. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do a quick survey of the book of Amos. We're going to, we're going to, we got through the book of Judges, I think, in a week. We're going to get through a prophetic book of Amos in a week together. And what we're going to see is two things. We're going to see the structure, right, the elements, <clears throat> the different boxes in the book of Amos, the different parts of this guy's ministry, the different parts of his message. And we're going to understand that structure, and here's why. Because Men, most of the structures of all the books are the same. So we're going to understand the structure of the book of Amos. And then the second thing we're going to do is we're going to see some points about God. The structure of a prophetic book and some points about God. So if you got your Bible, here's the book of Amos. So if you open it up and you get to some of those books, you know how to get there. If you don't have it, um, open up a device or you could just look on the screen, right? Uh, But here's how the book of Amos begins. 
the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So there's a little bit of context about what and who and what's going on with this prophet Amos. Amos, one of the things it tells us, right, is that he was among the shepherds. That's kind of important because a lot of the prophets were like professional ministry people. They were professional uh, prophets. In in today's day, you can go to seminary if you want to be trained. There were schools of prophets in those days. Amos was not a professional prophet. He wasn't a guy who said, I feel God calling me to the ministry. He was either a shepherd or perhaps he was in a position where he oversaw a bunch of shepherds. But he was just a normal person. He was just a normal, ordinary, lay person who one day in the middle of his shepherding or in the middle of his being a middle manager over herds, God said, hey, I got something I want you to do. I'm not worried about whether you think you're professionally trained or not. I'm not worried about if you've had success in the pulpit. I've got something for you to do. We see that he was living in Tekoa. Then we got, let me show you where that is on the map, Tekoa. So Tekoa is in the southern kingdom. So he lives in Judah. He lives about uh, 10, I think it's about 10 miles or so south of Jerusalem. So where my finger is, is where uh, this dude Amos came from. In the southern kingdom, in Judah, 10 miles south of Jerusalem. It says, if we go back, that his, he saw concerning Israel. So he lives here, but the message that he's going to bring is for here. So God says, hey, I'm pulling you out of the southern kingdom, but man, you got to go tell these folks in the northern kingdom something that I want them to hear. And it was in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. He reigned from about middle, we're about middle to late 700s, okay? So that's a little bit of background on this guy, Amos. Now, now, here's the deal, right? I've already kind of tipped it off, but every, I haven't tipped this part off. Apparently they're filming some Hallmark movies in Connecticut for the winter. Apparently Netflix is trying to get into the Hallmark movie competition. And we say this a lot because it is not quite inspired, but it is true. Every single Hallmark movie has the same plot. I know some of you are going to write me a nasty email. Because you're like, no, I like the Hallmark movies. That's okay. They all have the same plot. Here's the same plot. Ready? If you've never seen one, you're about to see them all. Some sweet little girl, young lady, professional. She's in Chicago. She's in Manhattan. She's in Boston. She has some really creepy, annoying boyfriend. He's mean to her. He's not nice. She doesn't know if she likes him or not. He breaks up with her kind of whatever happens. They need some distance. So she gets in her car. And she goes to some mountain Christmas village. Apparently this mountain Christmas village is filmed in New Canaan and Westport. I don't know. She goes to this mountain Christmas village. She walks into the coffee shop new in town. The door opens and the bell jingle jangles. And there is standing this man in a flannel shirt with a trucker hat on. See, you're laughing because it's true. Who offers her, would you like a cup of coffee? They start to fall in love. They go cut down a Christmas tree together until 
One day, creepy, annoying boyfriend from Chicago tracks her down and comes back into town. And he says, babe, I was wrong. I want to get back to you. They are talking these things over in the park. Coffee shop boy sees them call thinking. Coffee shop boy thinks they're back together. But they're not back together because the girl says to creepy, annoying boyfriend boy, creepy, annoying boyfriend boy, you're creepy, you're annoying. I don't want anything to do with you. I want to be with coffee shop boy. But coffee shop boy thinks he's back with creepy boy. Ah, what's going to happen? I know what's going to happen. She's going to go to boyfriend, coffee shop boy's farm. And she's going to walk in. And she's going to explain to him, no, I'm not back together. I broke up with him because I don't love him. I love you. And then the snow will start falling. And they kiss. You have now seen every Hallmark movie. You don't need to watch it. The only reason, well, I kind of elaborate. I'll thank you. This is ridiculous. You're like, please, Lord, when does he go on a sabbatical? Okay, listen. The only reason I elaborated that point is because it's true. The structure of every Hallmark movie is the same. The structure in the exact same way of every prophetic book is 99% the same. So we're going to understand the structure of Amos. We're going to do that so that when you're trying to read Jeremiah or you're trying to read Micah, you're like, oh, let me look for these boxes and the structure of that book. All right, so the first element of every prophetic book is identification of sin. Whether you're reading Amos or another book, real quick on, the prophet, I think I hurt my finger in my excitement hitting my thing. Good, great, workers comp. The first uh, thing is the identification of sin, okay? So let's think about what goes on with Amos. First group of people, we're not gonna read it all, but in Amos chapter one, verse three, through chapter two, verse three, Amos comes, and he's in Israel, and he's talking about the sin of all those other surrounding countries, okay? He's talking about the sin of all those other surrounding countries, and you can read about it later, verse, chapter 1, verse 3 to 3. And at this point, Israel, right, they're hearing this word, they're hearing, right, what's going on, and Israel is hearing this, the northern kingdom, they're like, yes, God is going to wipe out all these countries, all these countries are bad. The sin of those other countries and when you read it, God says your sin is that you're cruel, that other countries, you treat people who aren't the same as you, you enslave them, you're not forgiving, you seek revenge, you're violent, and those are sins, other countries that surround Israel. Israel hears this, but then Amos kind of narrows his message a little closer, and now he starts talking about the sins of the southern kingdom of Judah. And so he's still talking to the northern kingdom. He's like, look, hey, not only is it these other countries that are in sin, but the southern kingdom, those people who divided from you, God thinks they have sin. And we, here's what he says about their sin in chapter 2, verse 4. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke punishment, right? For three transgressions in Judah, I'm not going to revoke punishment. He's up in the northern kingdom. And he's saying, look, my hometown... Northern kingdom people, God thinks the southern kingdom people are sinning. Israel, northern kingdom, would be like, yes, this is getting even better. Not only is God angry at the countries around us, but he's angry at the southern kingdom. And there's been a little bit of military fighting between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And Israel would be like, okay, this is real. This is good. Like God's upset at all of our enemies. But then here comes the bad news for Israel. 
Because then what Amos says to Israel is, oh, northern kingdom. It's not just the sin of the countries around you that are a problem. It's not just the sin of the southern kingdom that's the problem. In fact, Israel, the whole reason that I hopped on the train and came up here to talk to y'all was because of your sin, Israel. And here's what God calls out about the sin of the northern kingdom. Okay? Every prophet, we didn't talk about this, is sent to a different area, a different region, a different group of people in a different particular time. And every prophet brings a different message to those people. Amos' message was to the northern kingdom primarily about their sin. One other quick trivial thing, that list of prophets, I forgot to say this, that's not chronological, okay? But, so Israel, here's your sin, verses, uh, chapter 2, verse 6 for 8. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four I will not revoke punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. And he continues and he says, and a man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken and pledged. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Here's kind of compressing that down. Here's what he's saying. Israel, here's your sin. You're selling your own people into slavery. You're exploiting the poor. There's sexual immorality. You're robbing from your own countrymen because when they make you a loan, even if they pay it back, you keep the, down, you keep the collateral that you're supposed to give back to them. And you're perverting the holy worship of me. Those are your sins, Israel. The identification of sin is the first thing he continues, and in other verses, he hits these things a few more times. He talks about uh, idolatry in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 14, and he says this, on that day, right, again, reheating the sin of idolatry, I'll punish the aggressions, I'll punish the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off. You may remember last week, one of the first things they did when the kingdom was divided is that one of the guys put up a bunch of idols to, altars to false gods. He comes back to the poor thing. And Amos is not politically correct, because <clears throat> Amos says this. He says, and to the cows of Bashan, right? Do we have that next slide? Yes, hear ye, you cows of Bashan. Those, he is, he is saying that to the ladies of the northern kingdom. That is not a polite thing to say. He's saying, here you cows of Bashan who are in the mountain, who oppress the poor. You're selling your people into slavery. You're exploiting the poor. You're engaging in sexual morality. You're keeping collateral for loans. You're perverting the worship of God. Those are the sins. And from those sins, we learn something about God. Right? We're going to see some structure of books, but we're also going to see something about God. Here's what we learn about our God, that God cares about how we treat others. Now, if you've been in church for more than a minute, yeah, yeah, you're like, yeah, 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 no, I know that God cares about how I treat others. No, he really, he really cares about how we treat others. And he's coming to his own people in his own country. And he said, in at least two to three different ways, there are people around you who are poor, who do not have resources, and you are taking advantage of them, and you are not caring for them, and you're going about your business like it's not your responsibility, that, he's telling these people, is a sin, like a big deal. 
Second piece of that is this, that God also cares about what we worship and how we worship. And he cares about those things hand in hand. And he's saying, people, I want to use you. I want to use you to bless other people and to show them my love. But all your, right, the cows of Bashan, there's lots of language there about, look, you just keep, you just keep getting fancier houses and mountain houses. This is what he's addressing to them. And that's not bad, but it's bad if that's your priority and you're not also using your money for the good of the Lord. He's saying, man, God cares how we treat others and God cares what we worship and how we worship. He cares what we turn to. We say this time and time again, God really cares when I think that there's something more significant than him that I think is going to make my life work better than he does. He cares about that. He cares about that because he knows that's not true and he wants what's best for me and what's best for you. And I say it a lot because it's true. But even though it's true, you and I miss the mark a lot because we convince ourselves there's something else better than God. So after identifying the sins, the first element, what's the next element of a prophetic book? The next element of a prophetic book is a call to repent, okay? A call to repent. God has listed their sins. We saw the screen, right? And then he says this to the people. Here comes the call to repent in chapter 5, verses 4 to 5. Thus says the Lord of the house of Israel. Here it is. He's just told them, here's all your sins. Identify the sins. Here's the call to repent. Seek me. Seek me. I care about who you worship and what you worship and how you worship. And you're worshiping things that are going to let you down. And because of that, you're not serving the way I want. Look, it's not too late. Come back. Come back. Return. Seek me. And, and there's this really interesting thing within every prophecy in the Old Testament. Here's what we see in another book, a little later on sequentially. But this is what God says in the book of Jeremiah. If at any time, right, so for any prophecy, when I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom, that I will pluck them up and break them down and destroy it. And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. Woven, implied, fused within every time God comes to people in the Old Testament and says, look, here's your list of sins. There's going to be problems. I'm going to wipe you out. Within that is this implicit offer. But look, if you come back to me, I will relent. I will not punish because what I, want, I, what I want is not to punish you. What I want is to restore you. And so if you come back, man, you can avoid that. Seek me. If you come back, if you turn, I will relent. Every prophetic prophecy, anytime if you read any of those books, within that is that offer. The, the structural element we see, right, is this call to repent. Identification of sins calls to repent. But we also learn something about God from this. And here's what we learn about God, that God is rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. It was on this stage, uh, I don't know, 
I don't know because the math is failing me, right? Somewhere between eight years ago and last year. And it wasn't last year because we didn't have it. During the Good Friday service, right, this other esteemed pastor from our community that's been pastoring for a long time. I've told you this once before, but I will always remember this line. Got up on stage and said, today I want to talk to you about two things that God doesn't know. And man, my Dallas Seminary heresy things went kapoing. I'm like, no, he's all-knowing, right? And then, man... He said, here's what God doesn't know. I'm like, yeah, let's go. What is it? God doesn't know a sin that he doesn't hate. But God doesn't know a sinner that he doesn't love. And I thought, wow. I went up to him at the end. I'm like, dude, I'm just telling you. I'll give, I'm not going to pretend that's my own, but that was good. And I'm going to steal it. <laughs> It was good because it's true. God doesn't know a sin that he doesn't hate. But God does not know a sinner that he doesn't love. Because God is rich in mercy. And maybe the only reason you're here on a 92 degree summer day because maybe you're like the people in the northern kingdom and you're running from God. You're running. Maybe you're not caring for people the way that he wants you to. Maybe you're worshiping something else that's not him. And what God's inviting you to do is to come back. And he's waiting with open arms to welcome you back. Because he's not there to punish you. He's not there to make your life miserable. He's a God that wants you to restore you back to him because he loves you. And that is what is best for you. And by him offering what is best for you shows how magnificent and worthy he is and worthy of our worship. Maybe for you, he's saying, seek me. Seek me. The third element of a prophetic book Here's the third element. Statement of what the punishment's going to be. Every prophetic book. Well, I do think every prophetic book. There's sin that's identified. There's this implicit, if not expressed, call to repent. And then there's this uh, very figurative, usually. This is where it starts to get a little cloudy when we're reading it sometimes because it's all poetic, figurative, allegory, analogy, whatever, metaphor. A statement of what the punishment will be. And so what God does in the book of Amos, in chapter 7 through about 9, or chapter 7, um, and through 9, uh, verses 9 through 10, I think it is, there's about seven or so visions, like it's these allegories that Amos uses, but pretty much each allegory is something gets wiped out, something gets destroyed. And what Amos is saying to the northern kingdom is, guys, if, if you don't take care of that, then you're going to get wiped out. And then there's also this specific punishment that Den's mentioned a few times, this word that we have to pay attention to, right? So these prophetic visions about baskets being overturned and things swooping in, all of which is saying, Northern Kingdom, this won't end well for you. Then there's this, 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 this specificity where Amos then says at least twice, Jeroboam, meaning their king at the time, shall die by the sword and Israel must go into exile. We're going to hear that word again a little later on in verse 17 of this chapter where it then says this. 
Therefore, says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up. You yourself shall die, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. You know what exile means? It means you were here, and now you're going over here. And what God is saying is part of the punishment that you're going to face if you don't come back is things are not going to go well in the land. And part of things not going into the land is you're going to be forced out of the land. And you're going to go somewhere else. And that's not going to be good. Because there is a mess of a fallen, broken world that God is trying to fix through these people by giving to them their country, and their land, and through them in their land, offering blessings to all countries. But now that's going to hit a big speed bump if they don't repent because they're going to be pulled out of their land. Next week, we're going to talk about that because that happens. That happens. They get yanked out of their land after. A long time, they eventually come back to their land. That's what the book of Ezra and Nehemiah are about. We'll talk about that. But, but the question is, right, the, the book of Amos kind of starts to end with this downward cycle. Is that how it ultimately ends? Does the book of Amos ultimately end with doom and gloom? Does most prophetic books end with it's going to be really bad? It doesn't. It doesn't. Because nearly every prophetic book ends with the last structural element that Amos ends with. And the last structural element that Amos ends with is hope after hardship. Hope after hardship. And I'll invite the worship team, if they're around, to kind of start making their way up here. And let me read to you about the specific hope that is offered in the book of Amos to the Israelite people, he's saying it's going to get so bad for you guys if you don't return to me. For a period of time, you're going to get yanked out of your land. You're going to be in exile. Hardship. But Israelites, there's hope. There's hope after that hardship because I, not because you guys are good, but God's saying, but because I'm good. Because I've made some promises to you. And I've told you that one day, someday, all will be well, and I'm going to keep that promise to you. God says to them about that in chapter 9, verses 11 through 19. In that day, right, when all of this ends, in that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins, verse 11 of chapter 9. All of that is God saying, like, look, I told you there's going to be a king that's going to fix it all. I told you there's going to be an heir of David who's going to rule on the throne who will be a king. And one day, someday, this divided kingdom, this civil war, this secession, there's going to be a king that comes back and it's going to become strong again. And there's going to be unity again. I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen, repair its breaches, raise its ruin, and rebuild it as the days of old. And then verse 13, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seeds. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine and all the hills will flow for him. 
I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make their gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never begin to be rooted. Out of the land I have given to them, says the Lord. He is saying, because of your sin, because you don't come back, there's going to be consequences. But one day, someday, it's going to be great. After the hardship, after the sin, after the pain of your story not being what you want, keep clinging to that hope because I am a God who keeps my promises. And one day, someday, it's going to be okay. Here's the promise I have. Here's the hope that you have. Here's the one day, someday that we cling to together. That there'll be a new heaven and earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is now with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe every, every, every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruits. The story began with a tree and the story ends with a tree. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their forehead. And he said these words are trustworthy and true. And then these are the words of Jesus that are being recounted. The king who then says this and behold I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. Keep waiting. Keep walking. But keep hoping. One day, someday, everything will be okay. And we have confidence about the return of Jesus. We have confidence about the second coming of Jesus because we look back to his first coming. We look back to the cross. We look back to what he accomplished. We look back to that historical fact. We look back to that moment where there was this exchange and sin was given, taken and forgiveness was given. And that 
instant, that moment is what we anchor ourselves and our hope to. Not to how good you feel on your best day, but on what Jesus accomplished on that worst day. And we cling to that. And we know that we're going to face hardship. We know that there's going to be some really bad days. But we know that God keeps his promises. And there's going to be hope after hardship. So we have a chance now as a community to affirm by singing together the truth of what gives us hope. And together we cling to the cross one more time. And as we cling, we look ahead to what's in store. So let's worship together.